following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, good morning. I'm very glad to be with you this morning. I um, was a first-time live streamer uh, last weekend, and I now have much more compassion on you poor folks watching from home. Um, but uh, I do want to thank Nate for bringing the word. Um, last week it was a, a good word. And I also want to thank you for uh, so much for your love and prayers for our family while we've been in quarantine and uh, praying and feeding us and we're um, we're grateful for you all, and we're also grateful to be out of the house and be able to interact with people uh, again. It's very nice. We take it for granted, I think. Um, I hope that you all were encouraged last week in thinking about newness through renewal and your process and sanctification and how what we're doing even now uh, is part of that um, part of that process, that progress. Um, and as Nate mentioned, we are going to continue in our exposition of the Gospel of Mark in our study together this morning. We're going to look at uh, chapter 14 and verses 12 through 26, and that's page 850 in the Pew Bible. And it's no coincidence that we're going to um, be celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning, although my... Um, my elements seem to have gone for a walk. Um, there, see? Else? Yeah. There is a bowl of them out there by the door if, if anybody else's has disappeared. Um, uh, so it was not intentional on, on my part, at least, uh, to schedule communion for this week and then deal with this text. Those two things were independent of one another, um, but not outside of the Lord's. Uh, hand, which is just a wonderful encouragement to me. Um, so we're going to be focusing on the institution of this great sacrament. Um, so if you're at home, I hope that you have set aside some uh, bread and some juice for this purpose. Um, I had a, one of my best friends growing up that Daniel is named after. He used to tell a story about uh, he was a missionary kid and in the Philippines. And when they did it, have grape juice and bread, they would use whatever they had. So sometimes it was donuts and Pepsi. Um, so it's what, uh, what is in your mind and heart was what really matters there. So um, Anyway, if you have Pepsi and donuts at home, uh, I guess you could use that, but whatever. Uh, we are going to... Um, in, in, it's, it's strange to me to do communion when we are not all in the same place. And my original intent uh, in scheduling communion for this week had a lot to do with emphasizing unity, uh, the common unity. That's a communion. That's where the word comes from. When we eat this bread and drink this cup together, celebrating that common unity. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17, he said, the cup 
of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. This is a reminder that um, Christ brings us together. And that idea could certainly use some emphasis, given the events of the last few days and weeks and months. But I don't think that's exactly what the Lord has in mind for us this morning. That idea is not false. It's not bad. It's not wrong. That common unity truly does exist and should be emphasized. But that is not the express purpose of the Lord's Supper. So let's look at our text. Matthew, uh, Matthew, Mark. Anybody remember what book we're in this morning? Mark 14, 12 through 26. We'll read that together and then pray. Start at verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after the other, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when they had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the freedom that we have to read, to consider, to allow it to change us. We thank you, Lord, that these words are your words. And so we ask that your spirit would speak to us through them. You would show us the meaning and help us to align our lives with the principles that you have here for us. We pray your blessing will be on your word and that you would be blessed by your church. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we read this account, it very closely parallels 
the account of the triumphal entry. Remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We celebrate on Palm Sunday. Jesus instructs the disciples, some of the disciples, to go into the city. Someone will meet you, uh, give you what you need for what is going to happen next. That happened with triumphal entry and happens here in our text. With the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, it was a cult that was uh, had never been ridden, tied up, waiting for them. Uh, and this time, it's a man, a servant, carrying a jar of water to lead them to where they could prepare and celebrate the Passover together. Now, in my flannel graph memory, I have always considered these two events to be miraculous events, that God himself preordained these things to be there at the moment the disciples needed them. I'm not sure I'm ready to give up on that idea. In fact, it it only occurred to me this week in study and preparing for this morning that I'd never even heard of anyone suggesting that it wasn't miraculous. Like Jesus had just said to somebody last Tuesday, hey, on Thursday, we're going to need your house. So get ready. <laughs> what? No, 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 no. That's not how it works. That can't be right. I guess my, my flannel graph memory is just a little more miraculous than it is pragmatic. Um, I, there's no purpose in arguing about that. <laughs> it just... It just never occurred to me. Um, What is interesting is that the fact that there's a man carrying a jar of water uh, was a much more clear sign in the first century than it would be today. Do you see somebody carrying a water bottle through town? Uh, So everybody does that. Which guy are we supposed to follow, right? Everybody's carrying around. They've got a hydro flask or something. Um, Well, that's not... um, That's not how it used to go. And during the time of the Passover feast, there would have been between two and three million people in the city of Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. Right. So um, which which guy do you pick out? How on earth would the disciples be able to identify the right man carrying a jar of water? How many other guys could there possibly have been fitting that description? Well, 2021. Hundreds of thousands, I suppose. Not a first century, thankfully for us. It turns out that carrying water jars in the first century is woman's work. Sorry for um, <laughs> not very popular nowadays. A man might carry skin filled with water, but less lung over his back. Not a carry a jar of water. A notion that and this is women's work in the age of a men and a women, uh, not very popular, I'm sure. Well, no matter what your opinion is on the subject, this was the sign that was much more obvious to them than it would have been uh, to us today. Um, there you go. Uh, the other gospel writers tell us that these two disciples that Jesus sent were Peter and John. And, of course, we know that um, the Gospel of Mark is Mark's recording of Peter's uh, perspective on, um, on these events and in his humility left his name out. 
Well, anyway, Peter and John found these things just as the Lord had told them, and they prepared the Passover in that other room, upper room. Um, I've been to the spot the scholars believe was the upper room. There's a new building in an old place. Said this is the spot where it was, but it's not the same building anymore. Um, there's Wi-Fi there, so I don't think it's the same. No, Wi-Fi hadn't been invented yet when I was there. It seemed like the first century. Anyway, verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. Jesus came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after the other, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve. One who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. It's always amazed me that when Jesus tells the twelve that one of them will betray him, that one by one, they ask him, it isn't me, is it? Or they didn't. They still considered themselves capable of that betrayal. And they weren't wrong. They don't point fingers at each other and say, oh, somebody's going to be, I know who it is. I don't want to say, you know, they said, we all know, I think, Judas is sus, right? Yeah, suspicious for those of you who don't are over 15 years old. They they humbly ask the Lord, is is it me? Is it me? And though we all know that it's Judas, because we've read this story before, or maybe we read in verses 10 and 11 of this very chapter, We know it's Judas, but Jesus doesn't point him out. Uh, Not specifically in our text. He simply says, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Another thing that we don't uh, think about so much is how Jesus and the disciples would have been arranged in, in, in the Last Supper. When you think of Jesus, the disciples, the Last Supper, what do you think of? Leonardo da Vinci painting, right? Like there's only one side of this table and everybody's got to be on that side. Come on, we're going to take a picture, fellas. Come over here. Well, no. Um, all, all we do know from the other gospel accounts is that the Apostle John was on Jesus' right and Judas was on his left in a seat of honor. It's also possible they were standing, not sitting. Although it does say they were reclined at table, just sitting on big pillows on the floor not so much 
posing for a photo. But Judas was on his left and the sit at the left of the host of Passover as a seat of honor. So when you think about Judas, if you really think about it, you could perhaps think that Judas was a hero. Or you could think that Judas is a victim. He was, he, he, you could think of him as a hero because he was God's instrument. He was used by God uh, in the, the sacrifice of, of the Christ. Right? Maybe you never thought of it that way. Used as God's instrument that brought about Jesus' death for our benefit. Does that make him a hero? Well, maybe he's a victim. Maybe this is just God's plan. He had no choice. He is just a, he's a victim of cold, calculated predestination. Like he had no choice, just a robot. That would make Judas a victim. Right? You ever thought about it? Well, it's okay because he's neither victim nor hero. He is the bad guy. He is motivated by greed. Judas just didn't say, well, uh, I don't think Jesus is doing this right. I want him to come in power, take over, right? And he was looking for a national messiah. Some scholars suggest that. He's just looking for a national messiah like everybody else was, and Jesus wasn't doing it right, and he's going to force his hand by turning him over. If I turn him over to the chief priest, he's just he's going to say, no way, and start glowing in the dark, and angels are going to come in and take over. No. Judas sold Jesus. He sold him out for 30 pieces of silver so he could buy some land for himself, the potter's field. Judas, motivated by greed, acted on his own accord and still accomplished the will of the Father. Unlike Dante's Inferno, where uh, Dante describes Judas being at the lowest level of hell, being chewed on by the devil, that for eternity, that's his punishment. It's a ridiculous idea. Judas is lost. But he's lost for the same reason that millions of other people have been, are, and will be lost. He did not repent of his sin. And he did not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said it would be better for him if he had not been born. That's no joke. When Jesus says woe to that man, that's not pointing a finger. That's not condemnation. That is a curse, but it's said with compassion. Woe to that man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Verse 22. And as they were eating... 
he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, it struck me in my study this week that the original Passover was eaten on the way. Remember, the Israelites are on the way in haste. They're running away from uh, the armies of Egypt. The Israelites had escaped from Egypt, uh, but they had not yet reached the promised land. They're on the way. Their redemption was not yet complete, but it was in process. They're looking forward to its completion when they reach the promised land. And the Lord's Supper is instituted in the same way. It's on the way. The process of the disciples' redemption had begun, but it was not yet completed. It would not be complete until Jesus died and was raised again. And when we celebrate it now, we do it to remember what he did, yes, but also to proclaim his death while looking forward to his return. When our redemption will be complete. Right? Our, our forgiveness is complete. Our salvation is complete through faith in Jesus. His death on the cross. His resurrection. But our redemption will be complete when he returns. And Luke adds the words in his account. Do this in remembrance of me. He says, eat this bread and drink this cup and do it in remembrance of me. Well, what is it that we are to remember when we eat the bread and drink the cup? When Luke used the word remembrance, it's not just a recollection of past events. Remember that time we did that thing with that guy? It was awesome, right? That's a... It's not just recollection of past events, it's participation in past events. And we too, like those disciples, take in the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf by faith. This little dime-sized piece of bread and this taste of juice does not become the actual blood and flesh of Christ, as our Catholic friends would like to tell you. John Calvin called that doctrine, known as transubstantiation, the monster, a monster of the Catholic Church. This bread, such as it is, and this juice, this bread is still bread. And this juice is still juice. Or perhaps if you're at home, donuts and Gatorade or something. It's faith that gives this bread 
and juice new purpose, not new substance. The bread and the cup are symbols of the body of our Lord and the blood of the new covenant, the new arrangement made by God between us and him. And eating and drinking them are symbolic of our faith. It's no longer an arrangement of works. That's the old covenant. It's no longer an arrangement of works that bring us to him, but faith in his son. That mankind, that individuals either choose to accept or reject. This is God's arrangement. And mankind either rejects it or accepts it by faith. I can't tell you the number of times that I've celebrated communion or the Lord's Supper. And every time, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me, in remembrance of me. It's carved on the the other side of this table. (laughs) Just in a weird order. It occurred to me this week that my remembrance was incomplete. I remember the Lord. Remember his sacrifice on the cross. Remember his body given. I remember his blood poured out. The Spirit spoke to my heart and said, Don't you remember how much I love you? Don't you remember how much I love you? I recall historical events and forget their purpose and forget the expression of God's love for me and for you. It was like getting hit upside the head with a warm, fuzzy two-by-four. Don't you remember how much I love you? The words pierce my soul. It's not just a matter of God so loving the world back then that he gave his only son back then. We remember how much he loves us right now. Right now. No matter where we're at in our life, no matter where we're at in our faith, our Father loves us so much right now. And as we eat this bread and drink this cup today, let's remember how much he loves us. So we're going to do that now. So if you have your elements prepared, as we take the bread, let's do as Jesus did, as say a blessing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great love. I say it over and over again, Lord, and I thank you 
that you spoke past my brain and into my heart this week to remember your great love for each one of us, for all mankind, your body was given. We thank you for this bread, this rich symbol that we take in by faith of your body given for us. May you be blessed. Bless this bread. Bless your church in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat together. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. So let's give thanks for the cup. Father, we thank you again for this cup. Many of us have drank of the cup hundreds of times. But we thank you that the symbol is not lost. The blood of a new covenant, the new arrangement that you have made. I pray, Lord, this not be an empty exercise for us, but a real remembrance, an embrace of that blood, taking in of that blood of the new covenant by faith. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink the cup together. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.